Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of Daffy's Roundtable, where we will be talking with a variety of different breeders, keepers, and scientists all about breeding reptiles, amphibians, fish, and any other exotic pets. And without wasting any more time, let me introduce my first guest on this podcast. This guest is a good friend of mine and a very talented ball python and crested gecko breeder. Please welcome Harry Tobin of Cascade Critters. Mr. Harry, how you doing, brother? Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. We finally got this uh, this whole thing figured out, huh? <laughs> Took a little bit, but it's okay. First episode. I'll get I'll get my hands on it. Um, okay, let's get right into it. Can you let all the potential listeners um, know how and when did you get into reptiles? Well, I got into reptiles when I was like really young. The first reptile I ever got was my leopard gecko, which I still have. She's like 12 or 13 now. Wow. Um, and so I got her when I was 11 years old. So I guess oh, she's 11. Well, she'll be 12 this year because I'm turning. Okay. So um, okay. she was like the first kind of reptile. Like I had always been into reptiles, like catching frogs and stuff like that. But she's the first reptile I ever owned. And then after that, I started like watching Brian Barczyk and kind of stuff like that. But I was never allowed to get snakes or anything like that until I moved out. So uh, once I moved out, I got my first ball python, which was just like a normal ball python. Uh, after that, I started like researching about breeding and stuff like that and just like getting more of a collection and uh i started my business and started breeding stuff and this will be pretty much my second season breeding snakes and uh crested geckos <clears throat> nice so you're not breeding the the leopard gecko your first leopard gecko no, no. She, i think she's too old to breed like i've never bred her or anything like that but okay you plan on getting into leopard geckos at some point? I don't know. I've thought about it maybe, but it's never really just like been on my radar. I don't know. Maybe yeah. though. Like I have the rack space. I could probably do it. So you're more of a tropical kind of keeper than the on the arid side. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same thing. <laughs> but... I've never kept any arid species at all. I've kept the bronze grass skinks once, but uh, other than that, everything's been as humid as it comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so you're based in British Columbia, correct? Yeah. So um, how's... Well, continue? Where, where, no, no, go ahead. No, where... Well, I was going to say, I'm, in, I'm in, near Vancouver. I'm at about an hour away from Vancouver in a town called Abbotsford. Okay, nice. Yeah. So how's the, how's the hobby over there? Like, is it... Uh, is there a lot of local stores? Is it, do, you, do you get expos in your area or do you have to drive to bigger cities to, to so, do all that kind of stuff? It's kind of weird around here because there's it, it's big around here, but like everything's underground. Like there's no okay. reptile pet stores or anything like that. So and like people don't really list stuff on Craigslist and Kijiji. Like the market's really hot around here, so there's a lot of ball python breeders, but they sell stuff just like texting people or just like over Instagram or people they know. A lot of people already lined up for waiting in line or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So I guess it's cool. It gives the backyard, or I don't want to use the term backyard breeder, but like local breeders, um, an opportunity, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like 
like I know a guy in Surrey who I get rats from occasionally and um he also he has a he has a way bigger collection than me he has a collection of about 150 ball pythons probably okay and he doesn't even he doesn't want an instagram page or anything he just does everything over text message and word of mouth he probably is making more than enough money that way oh yeah 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 that's he awesome like 1500 rats he said he breeds like on a oh he breeds his own rats yeah 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 okay okay yeah i mean it's it's big around here but it's underground um we do have expos uh we have a big expo in vancouver which is like an hour away and then there's also an expo in abbotsford which is the city i'm in and it's a little bit smaller um and but it's good too um and they happen i believe they happen twice a year when covid's not on yeah it's the same thing here so we have like the crbe and the bigger expos in toronto montreal and then here we have we don't even have one in ottawa actually we have one across the bridge in gatineau but it's so small that it's like i i don't even know if you'd consider it an expo (laughs) and and they haven't they didn't do it um they haven't done it in a few years even before covid so i don't know if if it'll come back um once that's done but so does it make it um does that make it hard to source like the rarer reptiles the the harder stuff to find um somewhat i mean the the expo in abbotsford there's breeders all like from all over canada um none from like ontario but it's uh, a bit far alberta and stuff like that yeah so there is some like rare species there uh tails and scales okay yeah they're based in toronto actually are they okay i didn't as far as I know, because they're always at, at like all the expos on this side as well. So okay, maybe they have multiple locations. Maybe they have multiple locations, yeah. But I mean, I haven't had really a problem selling animals or anything like that. So very cool, very cool. So you mentioned um, you get your rats from this other breeder uh, nearby, and he breeds his own. Does that mean you buy live rats, or are you frozen, or does he? So I freeze usually them. buy like in bulk from him. I'll buy like a okay. hundred rats at a time or something like that. Okay. In a freezer. Yeah. And do you do you find have you ever fed live at all or straight up um, to be starved? Some of mine have to eat live. Like there's a few that eat, only eat live. And do you find they eat faster? Is there a better feeding response to to live feeding, or or do you see there's no difference at all? Or? If they're gonna eat, they're gonna eat. Like that's. It's yes, pretty just... obvious when they want to eat, like, okay. whether it's alive something or dead, like, they'll eat it. Yeah. I've never tried live with, uh, with my carpet python, but uh, he'll he'll take any anything I put in front of him. So I, yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't doubt that he would take it. That's um, it. And, like, with animals like that, people feed live. Like, it's just, like, what's the point? Like, there's no point to feed live no, when you yeah. present. Makes sense. It's cheaper even, like, a lot of the time it's cheaper to feed frozen. Right, because you can buy, like, in bulk and just stick it in your freezer. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, I've heard a lot of, like, horror stories about ball pythons not eating for, like, extended periods of times, six months, up to a year. Uh, Sorry if you hear that, the whisking just decided to go off. Um, Have you ever had any problems like that? Uh, Do do you have any advice for people who have problems like that? I mean, ball pythons, they go on and off the feed because, like, 
if you think about a snake in the wild, like how often do you think it really, like, especially a ball python, like goes and finds food? Like, it's not every week. Like, there's not a rat that lands in front of it on a weekly basis. That's just sure. not happening. You know what I mean? So, um, people who get like stressed out, especially for like a month, like it's no big deal. Like. For even three months, is it's not really a big deal. The only deal is like when they start losing like a massive amount of weight, like a hundred grams in a month or something like that, right? So if it went like a whole year, no food, but it didn't lose any weight, you wouldn't worry? No, not really, because okay, it's not losing any body mass or anything like that. So it's healthy, and if it's not so showing any signs of sickness or anything, like snakes will want it, like. Even like snakes like that, even if you feed it alive, aren't gonna eat. Okay. Because they just don't want to eat. They just don't want to eat. Yeah, Sick. like I've never had that happen where a snake goes goes off food for a year, but I've heard of it happening to other right. people, and you know it's normal. Um, you can't force a snake to eat, obviously, but yeah, I guess we overfeed in captivity anyway. With yeah. All, like every week or every two week feedings. Yeah. Yeah. like it also depends on size of snake and stuff like that like if it's a hatchling that's obviously it can't go a year without food but um, that actually is a good segue into my next question sure um so when you are breeding once you have the babies hatch and everything are hatch uh, freshly hatched babies harder to feed um do, do you like what's the situation with them okay so like um i've gone through a few different methods like because i'm like last year i was still learning so i had two clutches last year and the first clutch i started with all live mice and okay. all eight right off the bat but then when i was like trying to switch them over to frozen rats or like something like even live rats it was really hard okay so um i think i had one snake um end up dying like it wasn't because it wasn't like fed or whatever but i had one snake die from that clutch and um uh the rest ended up going over to uh uh rat pups frozen which was fine um and that worked out but it took a while for them to go over so i kept having to go get live mice go get live mice and it was just like a really big, big headache so then clutch after that i started with uh live rat pups and then almost right away they went over to uh uh I'm trying to think uh uh frozen rat pups or frozen uh pinkies i think yeah I'm trying to think of the sizes because they're so like it's such a nominal size difference and i have them in the same bag so um it's uh, it's a negligible size yeah you're right yeah um but from that clutch i had one snake uh that uh was like out of the egg it was uh super underweight and like it just wasn't like looking good for it and like i tried to feed it live mice i tried like everything i could and it just wasn't eating and uh i took it to the vet and they recommend giving it this uh i don't know if you've ever had or seen like liquid um vitamins liquid vitamin kind of thing and you tube feed it to them 
I haven't personally tried it, but I did know somebody with a very sick gecko, and the vet also recommended uh, dropping like two or three drops in the in the gecko's mouth every day. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was what I like fed it, and I kept it alive for a few meals, but then it eventually just died because it needs to eat something live, and it's just so. Um, did you try braining a mouse or anything like bringing out the the juices of the brain and, and all that getting more of a smell because it does i've tried that before and it, i i've never had success with, with it okay. because it just doesn't work especially with hatchlings like if a hatchling doesn't want to eat um like uh the only thing i wish i would have done sooner is like try and uh like assist feed it yeah but out of the like it was like it, i think it died a month later um, out of the egg so I tried to feed it twice and then the next week it was like going downhill so I took it to the vet and the vet was like like try and give it this like they didn't really say try and assist feed it so okay but makes um, sense but the other two are now feeding on uh, frozen ASF okay so what I think I'm going to do in the future is try all my uh like hatchlings fresh out of the egg, frozen ASF, and and try that. Um, with my net next clutch that I'm getting, I got seven eggs. So nice. Um, I think ASF is their natural diet in the wild, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Okay, let me jump off the ball pythons for a second and ask you about crested geckos because you mentioned assist feeding. Right. And I have a question about assist feeding. Do you assist feed your baby crested geckos? And do you find there is ever a need to assist feed your baby geckos? Uh, I'm talking, of course, I'm not talking geckos with uh, any problems or weaker or sicker geckos. A perfectly healthy hatching gecko. What is your opinion on assist feeding? Do you mean like uh, just like letting them lick some like food or whatever off your finger? Or yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like. Uh, well, sorry to cut you off, but no, I don't mean just like. Oh, I'm gonna let it like hand feed it, let it lick it, but like only doing it that way for the first few weeks, like only feeding the gecko once you are like having the food on your hand or on a tiny spoon and whatever. I've never done that. Like I've okay. just let because like the thing is, I think is like if a crested gecko isn't gonna thrive and it needs to feed off of your finger, then like I don't know. I've just never like I've never had a, a problem with that. Like my like geckos grow up and it's not really an issue. Um, okay. They all grow at their own rate, obviously, and stuff like that. Like I will occasionally like just let them lick um, uh, gecko diet or whatever off my finger. But for your enjoyment, yeah, just like in <laughs> or whatever. Okay. Um, sometimes, like you know, if I notice like one that is like like a little bit skinny or whatever i might separate it from the group and uh like like pay more attention to it like do that more often assist feed more often or like supplement with crickets more often um but you know other than that like geckos are gonna thrive like i have just found geckos thrive really well um, on their own had like occasional deaths but yeah i i'm i'm the exact same i've never had to hand feed or anything and i usually just uh like I put them in a decently sized enclosure, nothing too big, because I don't want them to like struggle to find the food, but nothing too small either. And then they usually just find it. But 
I'm on forums and Facebook groups and on Instagram. I've been seeing a lot of people always giving this hand feed your geckos. They're not eating hand feed your geckos. And I just, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. I want to put out that like they're you might not be seeing how much they're eating, but they're eating and a good way to, uh, to find out if they're eating is actually to look for poop in the enclosures. And that way you can be, uh, you can be sure. But I, I, unless the gecko is unhealthy, I, I'm sure that it'll find the food on its own. Sure. I agree with you. Yeah. And I mean, like if there's one that's super underweight, like try and separate it from the group. But if it's not finding food and it's not thriving, like, and it dies, like it wasn't meant to be for that gecko. Like, you know, so you raise your hatchlings in groups. Yeah, small groups. Like, I try and keep it a minimum, well, like two hatchlings, but maximum of four. Okay. And did you, do you find any problems with that? Or any, do you find that, uh, let's say, tails fall off more often? Or, because I've been doing separate for every baby and it's starting to drive me crazy because <laughs> I have too many containers when it's baby season. Like people say about tail loss and stuff, and like even at expos, I see a lot of geckos without tails and stuff. My enclosures, I rarely see. Like I think I maybe have had three geckos drop tails, and okay. one of those times was my fault because I didn't see that it was like in the glass or, the lid or yeah, yeah, my own fault. No, yeah, that that sucks, but it it happens, man. Yeah, they're sneaky. They're you never know when parts of their finger. I'm always like looking for fingertips and yeah it's crazy like you don't yeah. want like shove them on the glass either you know like yeah just move yeah. <laughs> get get in yeah. yeah um okay um let me segue back to the the snake the the hatchling snake feeding sure um because i had another question about uh so i heard this on another podcast once uh okay. about um injecting ripashi into uh pinky mice to give the snakes additional uh, nutrition at that a young age. What do you think about this? Would you consider trying it? And do you think it's necessary? Into what? To get to feed to what? So like, like you would they inject like Ripashi into that. like a syringe and then inject it into like a frozen uh, pinky rat or pinky yeah, mouse or whatever, and then feed that to the snake. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Never heard of that? Okay. No, do you think it's a good idea? Does it sound like a good idea That's to you? That's a bad idea. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It sounds like a good idea to me. You're getting actually, it's, it's kind of like gut feeding, gut loading crickets, well, you know? Like, I do see, I kind of see that, but at the same time, like, it's what it should just be eating. If you have good nutrition for the rat and everything, it should have that nutrition in it already. And you shouldn't right. give it extra. You know? What about people who don't know where their rats are coming from and don't know what the rats are being fed? Yeah, <laughs> like, hmm, that's. I don't know. It's just a thought that I, I like. I heard it and it sounded really interesting to me, so I figured I'd ask someone who actually like, breeds I snakes about it. More, like more research done into that. Um, that as well as like alternative to rats, and so we don't have to rely so much on like breeding rats because right. there's huge facilities that are just dedicated to rats, which which is fine. Like that's great for snake breeders, but if you could eliminate like all of that and you could just like produce it in little packages or something like that'd be so much easier i like the way pet smart has them in little boxes with the frozen yeah. <laughs> yeah but makes sense i guess um but yeah that's just my thoughts but yeah 
not at school. I yeah, like I said, I I hadn't heard of it, but I, it sounded interesting, and I thought I might as well ask somebody that has a little more experience with snakes. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Like the closest thing I've heard of that to that is there's people who feed um, their snake like this supplement. It's like vitamin D supplement, pretty much, and they just like shove it down their snake's mouth with a syringe and just like give it to them as like an extra thing and apparently their snakes eat better and stuff but i don't know interesting interesting yeah there's a lot of different methods and different things that people do that yeah uh, they swear by like um um, somebody i know um is now swearing by feeding their geckos baby food uh, instead of rapachi or panji or anything and she says that she gets a little more weight on them and and whatever but uh, and i know that's what they used to do before uh rapachi and pangea was created but i just don't feel like you're getting all the nutrients in them that way what do you think i don't know i've never used baby food so i don't know like i've heard of the same thing that um like that's what everybody used before rapache and stuff mm-hmm. but uh i don't know like i haven't really liked uh my last few orders with like uh that i got from rapache i don't know it just like i'm a lot happier with pangea like with the like the quantity that the geckos are eating from Pangea, yeah, and just like the flavor and everything, like it just yeah. seems like they grow faster on it, for sure. And I've never tried baby food, but um, have you ever tried the Zoomed brand or the Arcadia brand? <laughs> Those. You, you did you say sorry? You cut off there. What did you say? I said I wouldn't try either. But you wouldn't? Why not? <laughs> I don't know. They just like don't look like they would be good at all. They usually sit on the shelf for a long time, so the expiry date's probably close. And... Interesting. I've tried the Zoomed one. Uh, a few of my geckos took to it, but the Arcadia one, I not a single one has like one year. So I wonder if there's I don't know Thrive brand one, like uh, uh, you know what I mean. The what brand? Sorry. Thrive, I think it's called. It's the PetSmart brand. I'm not familiar. I don't know. I think they're making uh, like glass enclosures, front opening glass con- enclosures. Okay. Uh, kind of like um, Exoterras, but not really. Um, but I forget what the, the brand is called. I think it's Thrive, but I forget. I'm not familiar with Thrive, but I know that uh, PetSmart carries um, the Exoterra and the Fluckers version of uh crested gecko diet and that does not look good at all <laughs> yeah not that i'm going to be eating it but it just doesn't look like it's a complete diet yeah. um the exoterra one looks somewhat like a like it's the same it's a powder uh, whatever like rapashi um but the fluckers one is pellets so i'm not sure what they were going with there <laughs> have you ever i i forget which one it is but it's uh like little pellets that are like mushy it's not flukers i think it's zoom in or it might be exoterra but it might be exoterra because the zoom ed one is also a powder okay i might yeah. try the zoom ed, the zoom ed one maybe yeah it's 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 there or maybe that was the older zoom ed diet or something because this is the new diet they came out with this like a year ago okay interesting yeah it's but, pretty good the tropical fruit one is the one that my geckos took to okay. not so much the watermelon okay yeah but I think Pangea, Rapashi, like one of the two is 
good. Like your geckos will eat it. It's just a matter of how much they'll grow and how much they'll eat. So yeah, and they'll and they'll do um they'll do good and they'll be healthy on either of those diets. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Do you uh do you feed your geckos crickets often? Are you yeah team bugs, team no bugs? I occasionally do. Um I don't know if I told you about like the I don't know if it was a mishap or what happened. But the two Dalmatians that I have unfortunately died like uh, oh, no. two ago. Like at the same time? Yeah. So Very interesting. what happened was I think because um, I had just put like new plants in there a few weeks ago. Okay. So you know how like sometimes there's like little bits of fertilizer in the plants? Right. Um, I think that was like on the bottom of the cage. And so I fed everyone crickets. And you then this happened like a week a week or two later um the female just got like a really bad rash kind of thing on her belly and then i was going to take her to the next day uh, the vet the next day but she died okay and then um the male just like looked like he was really dehydrated and stuff like that but i had just missed like i missed them all every day pretty much that week i think i well the uh the uh miss king was on so yeah, so they got on okay. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I I haven't heard of like two geckos in are there different enclosures. No, it was the same enclosure. Same enclosure, okay. Like, you know, okay, okay. it was like the fertilizer, or maybe there was something in the dirt. So I'm just gonna redo that enclosure eventually. Um, but yeah, really unfortunate because like that is man. I'm sorry for your loss. I know it sucks. Yeah, but it's a good time to put out like a PSA. Rinse your roots well. Yeah, definitely. before you put them in your tank. I actually use um, a ten percent bleach solution. Um, it gets rid of all the pests, any hitchhikers, um, anything, and then, uh, it, well, I rinse. I, I blast the roots with like a really strong stream of water to get rid of all those like fertilizer pits and all okay. the soil and everything. And then I'll drop it into a ten percent uh, bleach solution for like half an hour, an hour. Shout out to JHJ on Instagram, by the way, for giving me this. I haven't had a single problem with plants or yeah. hitchhikers or insects or anything since I learned this method. It's crazy. It's crazy. Interesting. Okay. I need to yeah. make that then. Yeah. I, I can like, I'll message you some more details about sure. it. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely helpful. Yeah. That's it. That's one place I think that I really lack and stuff. Like I'm good at taking care of the animals, but like well the plant like i can water them and everything but i just don't know like when a plant is sick and stuff and they just go downhill really quickly and it's like they do really quickly i actually was uh the same like i i wasn't good with plants either until i got into dart frogs it's mm -hmm. a lot more plant-based than like the crest gecko and uh like the gecko world so i picked up a few more things but uh i still struggle with plants too I mean, if, if you look yeah. at some of these tanks there's yellow leaves and then <laughs> freshly created leaf, leaf litter everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah man. um all right let's get back to i have a few more questions about ball python breeding if you sure. don't mind yeah. um does the uh sex of the babies depend on the temperature you incubate the eggs at so are they tsd like temperature dependent so sex from what i know it's not from everyone i've talked to and everything like that but I incubate at a little bit of a lower temp than a lot of people do. Like most people incubate at 90 degrees. Okay. I normally incubate at 89. 
And is that to hope in hopes of getting more females or? Well, I want to, well, one thing is I just want to play with the temperatures a little bit and see if that does help. Okay. And two, I think that it, if you give them a little bit longer, they have a little bit longer to absorb all that yolk. So it gives them a little bit more time. I don't know. It's just, there's other people who have, um, who incubate at a little bit of a lower temp too. And they say the same thing that it's a little bit better for, like they find that the, uh snakes hatch out at a uh, bigger size and stuff like that so that makes sense longer incubation bigger size snakes yeah yeah i tested it with crested geckos as well i haven't been able to find the correlation like the babies will come out a complete mix at much lower temperatures and much higher temperatures but i did also see that uh, lower temperatures obviously longer incubation and the babies did come out bigger and uh they grew faster too actually than those yeah they, they just i guess they ate more or they were just more ready to take on life than the the ones that were in for um for shorter periods or the ones that you can at the higher temperatures so colder interesting i'll have to look into that more. it's 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 thing, very interesting one thing about polypythons that is interesting is there's a gene like the banana gene you've probably seen it Okay, I you I believe you have. Uh, I'm not well versed with uh, ball python genetics, but I believe you have one, right? Okay, yeah. A lot of banana. Okay. Um. Uh, but banana is a sex link gene. So if if you have a banana male, everything that is banana in that clutch will be male, and everything that's not banana will be female. So like, I got a clutch last year that was. Um, I got. I ended up getting three eggs and I got a, one banana and then two others and it was a pastel enchi and an enchi I think. I'm still not like 100% sure but the pastel and the pastel enchi were both female and the other one was a male obviously because it had banana. The male died. That was the one. Oh, that, okay. Um, the other two, uh, like it's nice that you know that like pretty much the what you're going to get like sex wise before you even get the eggs and everything yeah so that's very interesting okay so what goes what happens from there so you breed the male to a non-banana female and you get all the babies are males i know how confusing it gets but if you were like to breed uh one of the children one of the male children bananas to another female banana okay so the first thing is that is that you can never get a female well, I shouldn't say that. You're like one in a hundred to hit a female banana from a male banana. Okay. okay. So okay. if you only have male bananas in your collection, you're rare, rarely going to get a female banana. Interesting. Okay. So you have to buy female bananas is the first thing. Well, so, how do those people get the female bananas then? Well, from the wild or like the one-offs, right? And, okay. And then what you can do is with a female banana – uh 50% of the uh babies will like it's it's regular sex ratios right okay yeah but any male that comes from a female banana will be a male maker uh banana or sorry a female maker banana so you have female makers and male maker bananas male makers okay interesting so if you have a female maker then all of the bananas in that clutch will be uh uh female and then the rest, like anything without banana, will be male. It's it's so confusing. It's very confusing, but also very interesting. It's uh, yeah. it's very cool that genes can play with uh, 
with the sex of an animal. Is there any other uh, any other morphs that that do anything like that, or is it just the banana? With the... I think well, coral glow as well, but coral glow is basically the banana gene. It's just another like version of the banana gene, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, there's nothing really like that. The only thing that is like a close anomaly like that is I don't know if you've ever seen pides. I have seen pies. Very beautiful snakes. So um, with a pied, a pied is a recessive gene, right? Okay. So you have recessive and co-dominant genes pretty much. You have dominant genes as well, but pretty much you have recessive and co-dominant genes. Like just like in crested geckos, how lily white is a co-dominant. Okay. Like, you know about recessive genes much? I... I, I... Enough to enough to understand what you're saying. I'll yeah, go ahead. Viewers, because when people watch this, they'll be like, "Okay." Do too. So right. recessive gene is, um, basically you can have a visual form of a recessive a recessive gene, or you can All have right. a het version of a recessive gene. So okay. the visual version, a good example is like the pied bald in uh, ball pythons, is a visual uh, version of that gene, but you can have a hundred percent het pied um and it's a normal looking snake right but if you okay. bred that to a pied or another hat pied you would get a pied okay um but so and then with recessive genes uh you have to have like a uh the mom the mom and the dad have to have either like the visual form or a hat on either side of the pairing to get a visual like pied. So you have to have the mom either has to be like a hat pied or a visual pied and the dad has to be a hat pied or a visual pied, whatever, whatever. Okay. Um, and then a codominant gene is a d gene where you have a visual form of it. Um, take like pastel, bamboo, uh, banana, uh, any of those genes. If you have it even on one side of the pairing, you have a possibility like at making that so if you had a banana and you bred it to a normal ball python you would still be able to make bananas i think it's like 50 percent of the babies would come out banana and 50 percent will come out normal yeah do you, do you make your old, your pundit squares and everything i don't do that like <laughs> i look on the morph calculator but i'm oh there's a morph calculator that's cool yeah yeah and you yeah. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? What what is a morph okay, what is a morph it calculator? It like wants to get into ball pythons and like look at ball pythons and stuff like that. Okay. Um, go on to Morph Market and I think at the top there's a link for it. It says calculator or if you type into Google Morph Market calculator, it will come right up. Um, or uh, World of Ball Pythons have it. But okay. I don't want a morph market better because it calculates it all, and you can see, like, whatever, like, it goes down to, like, 1% or 2% odds sometimes, right? But um, you can click on, you can see what pairings have been listed on Morph Market before. So if there's, like, if there's a pairing you do, and then it hasn't ever been listed on Morph Market, it will just be grayed out, and there's not a box to click. But if it has there's a box to click and you can see how much it's sold for and what it looked like and stuff like that so you can kind of see exactly what you would get from that pairing it's pretty very cool. interesting yeah 
Very interesting. I was trying to share screen because I put up I, I opened the genetic oh, morph okay. calculator, yeah. but Open it. but it's uh I don't know why it's not working. Okay, guys, we pulled up the uh the morph calculator here and Harry's gonna show us how it works. Yeah, so, okay, so basically guide me. just have like parent one, parent two. So maybe do like uh say a pied to a hundred percent hep pie. Pie to a hundred percent. Did I write hundred percent? Yep. Just hep do hep pie. Hep pie. Yeah. Just calculate. So you'll see now you get one normal pie and uh, you're going to get 50% normal pies and 50% hep pies. Hep pies. Normal uh, all pythons. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And then okay, okay, if, let's... You do, uh, if you go back and do like, do yeah, like I was going to say, give us some crazy morphs. Let's try uh, something out. <laughs> well, let's do, we'll do another simple one and then we'll do a crazy one. Okay. So do, sweet. Like a, uh, do like a butter. Butter. What's the butter? Yep. There's a, there's a morph called butter drum. Uh, butter drum. Butter nope. drum. No, no, no. Just do butter. Just <laughs> okay. Combos. Those are just combos. Okay, makes sense. All right, butter. Butter to like a bamboo. Bamboo. This is a snake that I should hit this year for sure. Okay, cool. Very cool. So you get four possible, um, four possible morphs. You get twenty-five percent blue-eyed Lucy, twenty-five percent butter, twenty-five percent bamboo, and then you'll probably get like twenty-five percent normal. That's that's basically yeah. what this is saying, right? Yep, exactly. That's very cool. That's so very basically cool. Basically, what it's saying is that you'll get 25% at a, a two gene combo. 50% uh, will be a one gene, either the butter or the bamboo. And then the other 25% will be in, uh, just normal since you have two genes at play and they're both co dominant genes. And then it, say you had, like, if you had a pied in the mix, everything would come out 100% had pied since it's visual. If that makes sense. That's very interesting. I'm wondering now. I mean, like I know the crested gecko morphs. Yeah, no, I'm saying I know crested gecko morphs are like very, um, like there's no we don't we don't have enough information to know what's heads and they're all mixed up together and there's no way. But this would if someone made something like this for crested geckos, that would be, that would be really cool. And honestly, good job to whoever came up with this. Uh, I am I am impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Hit us with one more. Give us like some crazy morphs and then we'll, okay, we'll so stop the screen do, share and go back. Uh, okay, let's do a Enchi Spinner Blast. Wow, Enchi Spinner Blast. Okay. To a Bamboo Shatter. Bamboo Shatter. Did I spell Shatter right? Yeah. Uh, is that with an S? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is see. This is what I wanted to see. Wow. So this is one of my pairings this year. If you're listening to this on uh, something other than YouTube, by the way, I will take a screenshot of this and upload it to the uh, podcast notes so you can see this. But basically, uh, this combo gives you like a hundred sixty-four different possibilities, yeah. each at two percent. So you're getting two percent bamboo and cheap pastel pinstripe shatter spider, and then two percent. Wow, this is all. Oh, there's morph names here. Okay, so like two percent spinner blast, Aquia shatter. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right. Spinner blast, Aquila shatter. Aquila shatter. That's this is impressive. Yeah. 
how do I get my hands on one of these snakes? (laughs) And this is the thing that's hard about this is because like some of those ones at the top, they, they have so many genes that they look so similar to each other. Like if you click on the one that's blue, do you see the one that's blue there? Um, they're all blue. If you, no, look down in um it, under the morph name. Oh, I see it. Spinner blast bamboo. Yeah, if you click on that. Okay. That's gonna look pretty close to what. Oh, you have to have an account, so never mind. Okay, but that's okay. gonna look pretty close to like what all those other combos are. The thing that is interesting about that combo is that I okay, have shatter in the mix, which is a gene that really hasn't been worked with much. Okay. I'm just gonna go back. Hold on. Um, and okay. what shatter does is it adds like an ash effect to the whole a snake so it almost looks like someone's just like gone with charcoal over the whole snake and just rubbed it into the sides of the snake and just like all over the um not the underside so much but just like where the the white meets the pattern and then underneath the chin it looks like someone's just rubbed charcoal all underneath the mouth and chin and it almost looks like there's mites there, but there's not, and it's it's really interesting. It's a crazy snake. Very so, cool, and you can get that with like something with blue eyes. Um, well, that's what I'm I'm aiming for this year. So, um, that is the shatter gene is like a pattern uh, disruption gene, somewhat like Enchi is. Okay. Uh, blue eyed leucistics are like snakes, like butter, bamboo um russo mojave uh and then like you can also mix it up like there's snakes uh like you can get a white snake with black eyes if you do the super fire um you can do a totally white snake with red eyes if you do a uh blue eyed leucistic uh albino with i was i was about to say would that be considered an albino then yeah yeah so okay but See, that's a long-term project because you have a recessive gene and then you have a 25% odds at hitting the blue-eyed leucistic. So usually what people would do would be buy the blue-eyed leucistic 100% hat and then buy like an albino Mojave or something. And then you would, and then you would work your way into that. Okay, very interesting. So let me ask you this. How accurate is this morph market and um, is... Like, is it, would you recommend it to new breeders? Oh, yeah. Like, this morph calculator is pretty much what everyone uses. Um, I mean, for me, these complicated ones, I can't really do in my head. But the simple blue-eyed leucistic ones, I can just do in my head. Like, oh, I know 25%, whatever, right? Okay. It's a lot easier to see it on paper or whatever. Definitely. Um, but for new breeders, it's, it's a really good tool to learn the morphs and everything because you can click on the animals you might be producing or whatever and see oh that's what i'll get or see maybe that's what i need to buy to produce what i want right okay um okay the one so there is some combinations that don't really like work because they're just weird combinations like the toffino is a really weird combination Tofino? Yeah, so the Tofino is is an allelic gene, it's called. So allelic, allelic genes can inter, interact with other genes. Like so, this one right here? Which one? Are you seeing this on the screen? No, I'm not seeing anything on the screen. I'm seeing the oh. uh, calculations or whatever. Why is... Okay, how do I... Oh, 
It's frozen. It's frozen. Hold on. We're kind of off our rabbit trail now. I hope that's okay. No, that's definitely okay. This is this is more interesting than I I've never even heard of. I don't know how. Well, I guess because I don't deal with ball pythons, but I've never even heard of this morph market thing and morph market thing. And it's very interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know about it, and like I think it's a really good reference point to just check the price of animals and see if they're getting ripped off or like even for me, I can go and look on morph market and see what an animal is selling for. And literally tell my customer, this is what it's selling for on Morph Market. Give it to me, or I'm just going to list it and get that anyway. Okay, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, Toffino. Can you see it right now? Is this the, the snake we're talking about on the screen? Yep, yep. So, okay. Toffino, um, if you go down to the one, Marcus Jane, he's a good breeder. I like him. Is that, that my. Yep, that one there. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I see that. Yeah. So, this is a really complicated snake. So the Tofino gene is um, allelic. So basically, it's a uh, a gene that can interact with albino. So albino and toffee. If you breed a toffee to an albino, um, you'll get all toffinos. Okay. And if you breed a toffino and a toffino, twenty five percent will come out. Uh, actually, I think they're all, yeah, they'll all come out Toffino, but if you breed a Toffee to a Toffino, you'll get, uh, you'll get 50% Toffee, and then you'll get 25%, or you'll get 50% Toffee and 50% Toffino, I think. I don't know. Should we throw it on? Should we throw it on the morph market? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really confusing. But with the piebald in there, it's really confusing because you have another recessive in there as well. So you have to have like, it's a, it's like a double hat, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So this is exactly why everybody's so, um, I guess, obsessed with ball pythons and all the different morphs and everything. It's just crazy well, amount that you can do with it that people are working with now called cryptic that is uh like i forget which gene, i think it's puzzle that's puzzle or moss i think it might be puzzle i don't know I've, i haven't looked too much in it but it's a lelic with a uh, clown i think very cool but there's just a lot of uh different snakes like there's so many different patterns and things you can do if you look up like the shatter, that's one that I work with a lot. That looks somewhat similar to um, puzzle. The uh, calico shatter is one that I really want to do, but the first one there I think is a really good example of shatter. Okay, very nice snake. I see that little like uh, we were talking about, like someone rubbed charcoal on it right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But okay. it's also like it's also the pa- like I look at it as a pattern uh, disruption. Like it doesn't look like a normal snake. If you look at the lines on it, it almost looks like like there's two H's, three H's on that snake. Do you see that? Yeah, I do. I do. That's very cool. Again, for everybody not watching, I'll put I'll put a picture of the snake in the show notes. It's just crazy. That is a very beautiful snake. So um, what I'm hoping to do with that snake is uh, add it to the blue-eyed leucistic, and I'm hoping that the blacks on it show through and maybe some patterning because the bamboo does have some patterning with the uh, blue-eyed leucistics. Okay. We'll see. I don't know. Okay. 
experimenting. Yeah, my good luck, guys. Send me pictures. Let me know what happens. Definitely. Uh, stop screen sharing here. All it's right. the world's first clutch, so I, I think. I yeah, that that's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. So in crested geckos, when you pull out the eggs, uh, I'm sure you already know this. When you invert them, nothing happens to the eggs at all. No. I've heard that with ball pythons, inverting the eggs can kill them, and it has something to do with like an air sac or an air bubble. Can you right. elaborate on this uh, so, a little more? Like there is an air sac, obviously at the top of the egg. I don't think necessarily if you turn the egg completely upside down, even that's gonna like kill the snake. But you obviously want to avoid that as much as possible. Okay. I think the best way to do that is when the female is coiled around the eggs, um, put like what I do is I put a line on all the eggs. I don't know if you've seen me cut. Eggs I before I do I do that with yeah, yeah. yeah. I do that with the crest with the eggs even though there's no reason yeah. to. <laughs> but what I do is because they coil around the eggs. So what I do is when I uncoil the female and take her off, I leave the eggs there. And I put a little dot at the, the very top of each egg so I know where the top of the egg is. And then when I go to candle them, I don't turn them, like, beyond, like, 45 degrees of that. Okay. Just so then I know, like, you know, where. Because the female's going to be pretty good at knowing where that embryo is or whatever. Right. Um, uh, the ones I candled, uh, like, she was, like, pretty much bang on to where I drew the line. So... I have pretty good faith in the snake's abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but I mean, I would avoid it as much as possible. It's not going to necessarily kill an, uh, an egg, but I've never like done that. So I don't know, but cool. I've never heard of that. So, okay. Um, so, so the process basically is you put the male in with female and then a few months or a few weeks, a few months, I assume. Yeah, she about, lays the eggs. It's about three to six months. Yeah. Okay, and then she coils around them, right? Yeah. So. And um, you have to... So basically, three to six months, and then you'll see, uh, she should shed. Uh, I'm hearing apparently that she'll go into a pre-ovulation shed, so she'll go into a pre-ovulation shed, and then about a week or two later, she'll ovulate, and you'll definitely see her swell up and see that there's eggs inside her and everything, just like visually. Okay. And then um, about a week or two after that, you'll see her do her pre-lay shed. And then 30 days after that, you'll see her lay eggs. And then it's about 55 to 60 days uh, when, to when you see babies, if you incubate them. Very cool. Okay. And then did, have you ever struggled getting the eggs away from the mom? Are they ever like a little more aggressive around this time or do they just let you take them? No, they are definitely more aggressive, like, definitely. Yeah, okay. They want to protect their eggs, and they're more in defense mode. But I would say it also depend depends on the female. Um, I have one female who, like, she's, like, two really good clutches for me. And just, like, um, she was uh, a proven breeder at the uh, from the guy, the breeder I got her from. Right. So she's like had clutches and stuff like that, um, and she has never had a problem me taking her off eggs. Like never been defensive or bent me or anything like that. She's always chill. So she's used to it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about so in the wild? Do they they keep incubating till the eggs hatch? Yeah. So in the wild, they'll uh, just coil around uh, the eggs. 
sometimes if like a meal or something comes by, they'll take a meal in the wild. Um, but you know, pretty much they're just coiled around those eggs for 60 to 90 days. I think it takes a little bit because they're maternally incubating okay. and they'll hatch out, but the hatch ratios aren't as great because it's like colder temperatures and it's not as consistent and okay. is a problem. The eggs okay. really, really dry out. So, okay. So that kind of answers my next question. I was going to ask you if you've ever thought of, um, letting her do the incubation herself and not pulling the eggs to incubate them. But I guess that would just lower the success rate of the hatching, right? Yeah. Okay. And for anyone out there thinking of breeding ball pythons, I would really recommend if you don't have a good incubator and you're thinking about putting your animal through all of the stress of breeding, let her maternally incubate. Don't incubate them if you don't have a really good incubator that you know is consistent and is going to hatch those eggs. Because if you put something in some, like if you put good eggs in something you know is kind of crappy and something that isn't like something you have 100% confidence in, like why would you just not let nature take a course and at least let a few hatch? You know what I mean? Right. What happens in the wild? What happens after they hatch? Does the mom, there's no parental care at all, right? The, they just. No head off in their separate directions. Yeah, they just slither off pretty much. Okay. Uh, pretty much in the wild now, what happens in Africa is like with ball pythons at least is a lot of, uh, like there's a lot of ball python hunters that go and out. Poachers? Well, not um, like not hunters necessarily, but they just want to, what they do is they capture the snakes and they get the eggs. Poachers. They like, yeah, I, somewhat poachers. But they actually incubate the eggs and everything and then hatch them and then they sell them on like morph market as wild cots. So, see that's, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that we're still doing this at this point, especially with how easy ball pythons are to breed and how many people are doing it. Well, the thing is, is that um, that I see at least from it is th from a positive standpoint. And I saw a documentary that was like all negative about the trade of it and stuff and i watched a documentary later that was positive about it okay. but they actually release a lot of the snakes back into the wild they only just care about the ones that are like crazy looking or like way different where they can get like a possible new head from or whatever yeah exactly okay so basically the the hub of ball pythons is in benin i think it's called africa it's a okay. like really small country in west africa that's really poor but um like big breeders do trips over there like jkr or um like aussie boyds um yeah bar check people like those would go over there and go through these snakes and be like okay i want this 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 because it looks crazy and then the rest would just get released back into the wild so I guess in, 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 in a certain form, they're actually increasing the hatch rate in the wild if they're incubating themselves and then releasing most of them. I guess a lot of those babies wouldn't survive anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially the weird looking ones because those are usually the ones picked up first by predators. Yeah, exactly. Ah, it makes sense. Two ways to look at it. I Interesting thought, yeah. So I think that the, like, the problem is, I think, is that it's more of a black market trade there right now because yeah. there's just not the infrastructure in Africa. It's not regulated at all. Yeah. So you just need to, like, put some money into that and make it an actual trade and, like, 
give those people an income or like an actual set job to go and find those animals or whatever. Like, I don't know. Right. But no, it's definitely makes sense. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. And, uh, what do you, what do you incubate on in, what do you, what, what kind of incubator do you use? What do you incubate on? And you know, yeah. All that. Yeah, give us the 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 incubation lowdown. Okay, so temperature is ninety degrees. Okay. For six for fifty five days. Sweet. I used to cut at fifty two days, but I'm gonna up it to fifty five days because I lowered my temps to one one degree. So I'm gonna like wait to cut. What I'm gonna do now because what I used to do is just cut, but like there was too much liquid spilling out, and like I feel bad about that. But what I'm going to do is wait for, like, two to pip. And then once two pip, then, you know the rest are out, then the rest are fine and I can cut them, right? Makes sense. Um, so that's what I'm going to wait to do now. So I'm guessing that's going to be about day 55, day 56. Um, cool. I incubate on vermiculite and then I have egg crate on top. I used to not do the egg crate, but um, everybody does that and I'm going to like it's gonna work way better i already know because the eggs are suspended right not sitting in water yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. um my incubator is like a homemade wine fridge that um, cool. i got from another breeder that had really good success with it very cool uh i've had really good success with it uh yeah i mean it's just a standard thing but unless you know something is uh like really set up good for what you need uh i wouldn't recommend using it like don't try and like unless you know what you're building unless you're following like something on youtube or whatever right yeah because you're just gonna end up killing the eggs so yeah, no, I, I wouldn't even, I, I'm not handy. I wouldn't even try to build an incubator myself, to be honest. No, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. I'm breeding, but no, definitely. I've just seen it too many times where people, like, build, like, some $25 incubator, and they're like, look how much money I saved, and then you never see the uh, eggs hatch ever. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. Makes oh. sense. So have you ever had um, rotting or molding in the eggs within this incubator, or has it all been... Sailing. Um, so last time I had, uh, so my first clutch of eggs, I had issues with the eggs deflating a little bit, so okay. they're being too crinkly. And if you maternally incubate, a lot of the time, that's the issue you have is that they deflate a lot of the time. Okay. And then like you just have smaller babies and stuff like that. They just don't thrive as much. And that's due to lack of humidity. Lack of humidity. Um, right. Yeah yeah pretty much lack of humidity yeah okay um so if you suspend them up a bit and then you put more water in the bottom then like you avoid that issue okay um although i have my clutch of seven eggs right now and one of the seven is molding right now so we'll see but um keep me updated on how that goes i yeah um so i've i've had a few crested gecko eggs mold this year it's because i'm in a new house and i don't really know um you know temperature swings humidity and all that i'm still testing it out but i've been doing some reading and apparently mold is due to lack of ventilation so try to maybe uh open the doors out and air it out every i i don't know if this is proven or if it works but yeah i've been trying to do it and i also have been wiping the mold off the eggs and then putting them back and it seems that that so far has also been helping but i'm not too sure 
So also another tip that I'll give, and this yeah, is that I'm gonna do for my egg once, uh, like I don't know, probably this week sometime. I just gotta go get it from the store. But um, Austin from U- Mutation Creation, as well as Billy from Mutation Creation, I'm sure, um, they like they like mold. They 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 have a thing called Mold Gold or whatever. Okay. Um, but that's interesting. What they do is whenever a mold uh, uh, an egg gets moldy, they put foot powder on it. Okay. Like a fungus foot powder or whatever. Yeah. Um, you just like put a lot of that on. Like if you just have a little bit of mold or like mold spotting, uh, uh, just put it on with like a Q-tip or something like that. Okay. But a lot, just like douse it in it or put it on with a paper towel, like wipe it on it or something like that. Like wipe the mold off first and then wipe the, the foot powder or whatever on it. Do you wipe it off afterwards, the foot powder? Or? No, you keep it on. Keep it, keep on, it on. Okay. It's like antifungal too, right? Oh, so okay. Keep the, the fungus from growing. It's kind of like using methylene glue with like fish eggs. Okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so that's one tip. I've never done it, but I'm going to. Um, like Billy from Mutation Creation, I said, he's used it and he's a obviously a huge breeder. So Huge breeder. I wonder if, that, if something similar to that would work with... Uh, any other species, not just ball pythons. I'm sure it would. Like it's mm-hmm. it's you know foot powder or whatever. I'm not sure how it would affect like the small bodies of a crested gecko or something. But but if you were to put a really little bit on a Q-tip like you mentioned, and just and it's not like the crested gecko is getting in contact with it, but it's breathing through the egg. So that's what you have to keep in mind, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, um, if you do ever try that as well, keep me updated. I'm, I'm just trying to do like collect some some data on like mold and, and rotting in eggs and just trying to find a way to completely avoid it. Obviously, completely avoiding it is probably impossible, but like, you know, well, less than the amount of... Like, the first, like last year went really good for me and I didn't really have that, like I had two deaths or whatever but this year is like i had those two animals die and i have this egg molding it's like uh but you, but know, you also just moved so yeah so you know it's kind of hard to judge in a new area what's the temperature going to be like in a month or two yeah exactly yeah okay do you enjoy keeping have you found that you're enjoying keeping the arboreal species of snakes more than ball pythons or what do you find easier or more enjoyable as well I don't know. Like a boreal is definitely more interesting to look at and stuff. I'm sure you'll find. Yeah. Like I don't. You don't have a ball python, do you? I don't. I have. Uh, I have a carpet python. I think they're considered semi-arboreal because I do see him climb. Like he does have space to climb up and down, and he. I do see it happen, but. Okay. Uh, no, I never had a ball python. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, they're more interesting to just look at and and watch because they are more interested in you. And these are the boat, the tree boats you're talking about. Yeah, like they're more okay. interested in what's going on around like you and just like what you're up to. So like if I'm doing chores in there, they'll um they'll come out and like look at me and just like see what's going on. Come up to the glass and okay, yeah, exactly. very cool. Yeah. Um, that's why sometimes they can be aggressive because like snakes don't really have that good eyesight. So when you put like a thumb in front of them, they kind of think it's a pinky mouse. You know what I mean? Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I don't know how your carpet python is, but I'm he's sure. uh, so they have a reputation of being like extremely nippy and bitey, yeah. and uh, he's never even tried. He's yeah. 
the the most I I got really lucky with him. He eats every time. He doesn't try to bite. He super sweet snake. But yeah. Nice. So my my experience with snake is is um, really small because he's never. You know what I mean? Like if he had caused me more problems, might have been a little more experienced. But maybe sense. soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I don't know. Ball pythons are different too because it's like they there's all the morphs and stuff. So, right, but I have a res, red phase and a yellow phase. Uh, those again, the Amazon tree bows, yeah. Okay, let me, yeah, pull up pictures of those red phase Amazon tree bow, yeah. At least that's what I think it is. Like, from all my research, I don't like, I don't really know morphs that much. Like, there's not Amazon tree bows aren't like ball pythons, like with morphs and stuff, it's different, okay. Um, they change color throughout their age and stuff like that. And uh, so, are we talking something like this? Uh, the second one, maybe like this. Yeah, it's more like an orangey one. Mine has less blotches and more like dots on it. And then I also have a yellow face. Okay, very cool. Uh, wait, let me try to pull up the yellow phase. And, like, the reason I like, like, I breed ball pythons because I like those, like, with the morphs and stuff, okay? So, right. the eggs from those. But I don't really want to deal with eggs with other species and stuff. Like, I don't want to have to deal with different incubation temps and blah, 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 blah. Right, because then you need different incubators and everything as well. Exactly, yeah. That's what, well, that's how I look at it, at least. I don't know, like, what others would say, but... So, so you're not planning on breeding these guys then? Um, possibly in the future, yeah. I think so. I mean, they're okay. to breed. She kind of looks like that. Um, there's another one down lower with more, like, spotting. She has a lot more spotting than that. They both like, have a lot of, like, Dalmatian kind of spotting. Like this kind of? Yeah, definitely. You think this is something that goes with age? Um, possibly. I mean, I don't know enough about arboreal species yet and, like, morphs and stuff to know um like i definitely know that it comes from like breeding and stuff obviously but it also comes with like localities so the yellow one and the orange one might come from like slightly different regions or just like different cities over maybe where like the sun is maybe a little bit warmer where she got like a little bit more uvv or whatever right right but um, I don't know how pigmentation works and stuff in morphs. I really don't. Okay, cool. I'm going to stop this here. Very cool. Do you think the Crested Gecko and Ball Python market is oversaturated? Do you struggle selling? I think we kind of brushed over this in the beginning, but do you struggle yeah. selling babies? Um, do you think there's too many Ball Python breeders, too many Crested Gecko breeders? Or what's your opinion? Well, I think that... Like, I don't think that anything is oversaturated. I think that um, people aren't going to buy from someone who isn't, like, reputable and stuff like that. And that's probably where you're hearing all that saturated yeah. talk from. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, I think people who aren't selling stuff aren't... They're either not trying hard enough, they don't have quality animals, or they're just, like, not um like 
not trying hard enough to make a name they're for themselves. Trying hard enough, like yeah, they, they're not trying hard enough because there's so many outlets to sell your animals nowadays. Like okay. you're, you're not making an like or not making a name for yourself, I guess. But that's kind of like putting yourself out there, because like if you don't have a following with uh, like Instagram or Facebook or something, especially in the reptile world, like you're kind of you're not a nobody. Because there's really big breeders out there who don't have anything. Like, they are they just do text message or whatever. But, but you're in a tougher spot to yeah, sell your... Yeah, exactly. And already know. Like, if you're just being like, oh, I'm just going to list on Kijiji and none of them sell, it's oversaturated. It's like... But it's also... It depends on your quality of animals. Like, if you only buy $50 animals and you're bringing $50 crested geckos and that's all you have and you have $150 crested geckos, they're never going to sell. Definitely, right. They might sell to like 10 different pet stores in a wholesale lot for $20 each, but... (laughs) But is that worth your time? No. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. I agree. All right, cool. And then do you have any tips for new breeders? Uh, And that's like new... Breeders in general, so not just ball pythons or crested geckos, but any new breeders and both husbandry wise or on the business side of things. Um, I think I like, I think not enough people talk to like experienced breeders or like make um, like close connections to people. They just like kind of do their own thing and don't like get tips from people. And I don't know. You know what I mean? I do, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You don't you, do your research, basically. Well, do ask your, ask the experienced well, person. Make connections with you, like just yeah. like before you. Well, while you're breeding and before you start breeding, you know, talk to other breeders that are like close to you or around you, um, and make those connections. Maybe buy some animals off of them or whatever, and then like make bre- make connections uh, with people further afield because it's not only is it going to grow your like following and stuff like that, but it's also going to help you like ask the right questions and like feel comfortable to be like, how can I fix this situation or what can I do better? Like the foot powder thing, I would have never known that if I would have like not followed Billy and mutation creation and that crew. Cause they like really tell people that a lot. So no, hundred percent, you know, uh- and I'm going to add to that as well is a lot of the information you find online is very conflicting and could very possibly be wrong. So asking an experienced breeder who's done this many, many times is definitely the, the best way to go. And also, like, that's why I say breeders around you too is important because like every, like different things work for different people, especially with eggs, because you're in different climates and different, like. Agreed. That's a good point. Yeah. So talk to breeders around you and see what they do that works for them really successfully because what they do that works for them is probably going to work for you, especially if they have a big collection. And there's also people who want to screw you over a lot of the time and stuff like that. So you have to be careful of that. But if you buy animals off of people and they're clean people and you know that they're good, like there's people around you. There's people all over. This is a huge like it's not oversaturated because this isn't this market is only getting bigger like it's 100 percent by the more customers coming in every day as well you're right you're right i don't see why anyone would think that this market's going anywhere because 
not only are pet stores always going to be like there and there's always going to be reptiles in pet stores because people want to go look at those and be like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah. it's growing like in terms of just everyone. Like if you talk to anyone who's under the age of 30 or 40, like they don't really want a cat or dog. But like everybody wants the bearded dragon or the ball yeah. python now. or the, Yeah, 100%. The bearded dragon is a really good example because it's something that people can get into and be like, oh, okay. Or even a crested gecko. Like, yeah, I had someone come over the other day and they felt a crested gecko for this first time. And they're like, oh, it's soft. It's soft. Yeah. I get that reaction all the time. Oh, it's not slimy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it's only growing by the day as people educate, like Brian Barchek goes out and does stuff. There's a guy near me who goes out and does like, stuff at different fairs and stuff with reptiles and gets people interested in it so no definitely definitely it's not oversaturated like no it's only the beginning no i agree just yeah, it's gonna get a lot more saturated <laughs> yeah i mean i'll give you an example of oversaturated my clutch was seven eggs now i have nine people who are interested in eggs yeah and every single one of those would buy buy a snake that was worth four or five hundred dollars no problem yeah and you haven't even hatched the eggs and they're already all have homes so yeah that's awesome that's that's a good position to be in exactly yeah so it's just it's not oversaturated it's just quality and marketing yourself yeah two. learn to make a name for yourself definitely yeah. definitely and i also want to add uh don't be afraid to experiment uh, you might be the person to find the next best easy method or something you know, you never yeah, know. But within guidelines, obviously. Within guidelines. <laughs> don't go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Don't breed two spiders together. Yeah. Don't, oh, we didn't even get into the spider. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that one for, for the for next, the next one. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll go over morphs or something in depth. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I that would be definitely a very cool episode. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Mr. Harry, thank you very, very much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And now. Uh, yeah, definitely we'll have you on one more time for sure. Sounds good. Um, as soon as we get this thing off the ground, I'll, I'll message you and uh, we'll plan out another episode. We definitely need to discuss yeah. those uh, that spider morph and, and, and the morph yeah. market some more. Maybe in person sometime too when I come over there. We got to make that happen. We'll make definitely. that happen. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. Talk to you later. Uh, see you later. Thank you all very much for tuning in. This was episode one of Daffy's Roundtable with uh, Cascade Critters. By the way, I completely forgot to mention, I will be leaving all of uh, Harry's information, his Instagram, his YouTube, and his Facebook in the show notes. Go check him out. Um, it is at Cascade Critters on almost everything. And I am Fadi Nadde. I'm at Daffy's Reptiles on everything, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you very much.